Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Hey, it's Mia here and I'm just dropping into your ears to tell you about this special bonus episode of Lady Startup Stories. It is with Zoe Foster-Blake, one of Australia's most successful and pretty new in the scheme of things, Lady Startups. Her business, go-to skincare is only a few years old. And I chatted to her a few weeks ago for my No Filter podcast and we split the interview into two because there was just so much good stuff. This is part two of that interview where we talk about how Zoe became an entrepreneur and how she juggles all the balls since her husband also makes quite a lot of things. She was recently on a list of Australia's most successful or most rich entrepreneurs under 40 and she was valued or her business was valued at $36 million. So there's a lot to learn about how you build a skincare brand from the bottom up. If you want to hear part one of this interview where we talk more about Zoe's career before she became a lady startup, head to the link in our show notes or go and subscribe to another podcast that I host called No Filter and just scroll back in the feed. Enjoy. How do you become an accidental entrepreneur? Why is friendship so important in a marriage? And why is infidelity not always a deal breaker in relationships? Also, how do you juggle all the balls when your husband also makes a lot of things? These were just some of the questions that I had during part two of my interview with Zoe Foster-Blake. And if you haven't listened to part one, you'll probably want to do that before you get to this one. From Mamma Mia, I'm Mia Friedman, and you're listening to No Filter, a weekly interview podcast with people like Zoe Foster-Blake, who tell their stories very candidly and aren't afraid to be all kinds of vulnerable. Zoe is an author, an entrepreneur, a mother, a wife, a friend, a beauty editor, and a creator of many, many things. And she joins me now on part two of our No Filter episode to talk about it all. Here's Zoe Foster-Blake. Where did Go To come from in all of this, the accidental Uh, entrepreneur that you are? (laughs) Well, it was a a fashion retailer asked me to do a line, a makeup capsule, and I started to think about it. And then I asked where it would be made and what would be in it, and they didn't think it mattered. And I realized, hmm, if I was to ever do that, I would have to be very a part of that. If I was ever going to make a product, because I had spent years, you know, spruiking other other companies and brands in my time as a beauty editor. You know, you can sell out a product with one mention. But then my good friend Megan Larson of Sadashi, I would constantly say to her, why don't you make this product? And I just think this would be great. And she just turned to me half in jest and said, why don't you do it? And she spelled it out for me. She's like, you've got the authenticity, you've got the integrity and the following and the beauty insight. I think you'd do a great job of it. And so she planted that seed and then handed over her formulator, which a dear friend of hers, a formulator. And that's really how it got started. I was just like, yeah, shit, what would that look like? 
if I was to create a small skincare capsule, because I feel like the market is super crowded, super confusing, and skincare is intensely overly complicated, I feel like with my beauty editor insight and my consumer insight, and I'd done Amazing Face by then, so I'd had a lot of feedback from women on what they found perplexing and baffling in skincare, and I was spending a lot of money on shit they didn't know how to use. I was like, yeah, I think there's a gap there. And then I got very, very passionate very quickly, and I wanted it to exist. Why skincare, not makeup? Oh, I think makeup's done beautifully. I don't think I can add anything to that category. I think there are a ton of brands that do an incredible job and it's it's an area that people can make a little investment and get a big kick and it's if it doesn't work, if that blue eyeliner sucks, it's $12. But with skincare, it's so closely tied to your confidence and your how you feel about yourself and I think I wanted to make that simple. I wanted women to feel confident using skincare. And I often say that GoTo doesn't take customers from other skincare brands. We make new customers. People who have never had the interest, inclination or appetite to try skincare feel they can trust us. We'll look after them. It's, it's really easy. You can't get this wrong. It's just a face wash and a moisturiser. And so we help handhold the whole way through and make women feel, and men and kids, <laughs> feel competent. And that's what I want because when you feel competent, you feel confident. And when you see the results, you want to keep looking after your skin. So the first step was finding a formulator. Is that Was yeah. that the first step? I believe so. I, I, I have the good luck and privilege to talk to a lot of people who want to start a business and I often say, don't overthink it. Get a sample. Make something physical and then it will all unfold. I didn't have a business plan. I didn't know what I was going to do. I knew it had to be peach. I just loved the colour peachy coral. And I sort of knew that I wanted to call the products very colloquial, obvious names so that you couldn't get them wrong. But, yeah, once I made my, like, brief, my wish list of what the moisturiser would be and I got a sample, I'm like, okay, shit, this is happening. So at what point did you learn how much it was going to cost? Pretty early. I mean, you're just making pretty small batches. And I have three other directors in the business. They are my co-founders in terms of they helped me get the business up and running. Why did you need co-founders? I am a creative and I knew what I wanted, but how to actually get a physical product on a shelf or in someone's hands, that's not what I know. So I brought in a managing director who got warehousing logistics supply sorted. I had my formulator and my tech e-commerce so we're all we're all superheroes we all had an area that we would get ready it's like a movie montage and then we would launch so I was obviously in charge of product and marketing and the other guys would make what I wanted happen how did you choose those individual people that the formulator came from <laughs> from Megan from yes. Megan at Sadashi yeah yes Megan the managing director is also a contact of Megan's and then I brought in Steph who did my websites and I said to him hey do you know anyone who can like do e-commerce? And he's like, I can, what's it for? And I said, oh, I'm just starting a business. And he's like, can I be in on that? And I'm like, sure, I don't know if we'll do anything, but yeah, if you want. So I was very cavalier and loosey-goosey with the uh, startup of the business. So did everyone and, put in seed capital? Yes. And yeah. did you split it 25, 25, 25? I won't disclose that, but it was my decision to bring them in yeah. and I was the one who so you were like the, 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 you were hosting the dinner party as it were. Yeah. It was literally in my apartment yeah. in 2013. And then everyone brought something to the dinner party. Everyone yeah. brought a plate. Yeah. And look, you know, we've had tremendous, incredible success, but I didn't know how to start a business. I didn't know how to set up shareholdings. I didn't know what I was doing. And I've learned a lot 
in business. How do you navigate the... that relationship when there's four of you? Are you the final decision maker? I am. Um, we are like family. They are wonderful, supportive, lovely men who I would never have imagined I would be in business with, but Gertrude wouldn't be where it was without them. So I wanted them to have skin in the game. That's why I brought them into the company. I think it's one thing to hire someone, but to have them financially invested. Mm. And it was a small outlay, I'll be honest. It was Mm. not that big. Um, That's a different beast altogether. So we all had a real drive to make it the best we could possibly make it. And did you have to, like in terms of all the infrastructure, do you have to, I often talk to founders and ask them, did you have to think about, okay, what's the worst case scenario? What if this doesn't work? Yes. We need to have all of that, you know, contractually done and then we can just go. We sort of didn't. We were just like shaking on it like, I guess this will be fine, you know. And like I said, it was a pretty low risk and low investment start off. Um, and I wasn't at that point that worried if it failed. It didn't really bother me. I was like, well, you got to try, right? Let's, I can't believe we got five products to market. I really can't because now it takes us two years to get one. <laughs> but we got those five products up and then it suddenly, like I was the one who had to make the forecasting. They're like, well, how many do we make? The minimum order quantity is five or 10 or 15, whatever it might be. And I'm like, oh God, I've got no idea. No one might buy it or everyone might buy it. What if we get a piece on, you know, TV or in a magazine and we sell out? So those business decisions still I find impossible. It's crystal balling. But I have a wonderful GM and a big team now to help me with those things. <laughs> the person who's the founder is often not the best person to run the business. I, I certainly know that about myself. Yeah. And yet you're the face and the name behind it and the person that if things go wrong, everyone looks to. How do you manage those two things? For a long time I thought, oh, I have to be the boss. I have to be the CEO. And it was ego and it was all kinds of things. But, yeah, you're, you're a control freak by nature as am I, how have you navigated that? I wish I could remember the quote. There was a Medium article I wrote about it, how a founder and a, either a CEO or a GM or an MD work together really well. And for me, my job is the vision, uh, who we are, what we do. I still create all the products and the briefs and the sampling and the testing and I oversee all the marketing. But I'm very fine with bringing in people who are best at what they do that I can't do. So I have a fabulous GM and and marketing director and a big, beautiful, clever, brilliant team who I trust and who get it and they understand our values and our why our purpose, what we're doing. We want people to feel good about their skin and we want it to be accessible and we want it to be relatable and, and, you know, for everyone. So I think once, and I'm sure you have to feel this way now, you've got this giant team under you as well and with you and alongside you and it's just about outsourcing the things that you're not good at and I'm very okay with that. I mean, at a board level, I've had to really step up and become financially literate and and stop playing that, you know, for years when I was pregnant or breastfeeding and I was sitting in the board meetings, I'd be like, do-do-do-do-do, as soon as we'd start talking about financials, I'd just get so bored. But you can't do that. It's not cute after a while. So I have to show up and be a professional. And I'm okay with that. How have you learnt that? God, on the go. Like I actually have a, a sort of um, I have a chairperson now, Karen, who's a, a bit of become a bit of a mentor. She's just very she's layman's. I just needed her to explain things to me in layman's. And so I'll look it up and I'll talk to people and 
it's again, it's finding the people who are good at what they do. So I've got a really, I found a brilliant accountant who talks me through everything now and explains it to me. And I will ask every question under the sun because I want to sit in the meetings and know what I'm talking about and understand the PL and all of those things. And I shunned that for a long time because it's fucking boring but it's business. You have to do it. As a founder or as a business owner, you can often go through and not celebrate the wins. You know, we talk a lot about the deep troughs of pain. When you look back on how long's GoTo been going for now? About six years out, but seven, seven. Because you can always see what you need to do and what's not working and what you want to do next. What are some of those looking back really milestone moments that you might have even just blown past, but looking back now, they were really significant? Oh, man. I mean, there's probably heaps. And I guess it's the, you learnt it in the magazine cycle as well. Like you're already on to the next issue. Yeah. You're already doing Christmas in October. So we're always working so far ahead. But like little things like Kylie Jenner had our swipies in her stories the other day and this, everyone went bananas. And I'm like, cool, whoosh, next thing. <laughs> like, But if you told me five, six years ago that Kylie Jenner would hold my product, I would have not believed you. It would have been outrageous. Um, and how does think something every- like that happen? Like how do your swipies get to Kylie Jenner? <laughs> it was through BoxyCharm, which is like I guess Bella Box in Australia or in, in Ipsy in America. So they have these beauty sampler packs that go out and BoxyCharm had paid her to, but we were the lucky ones that were in the box that month. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, she went through it and did a whole scene with all of the products. I couldn't tell you otherwise how we'd get it into her hands. It was out of my hands for sure. But I think every launch we break a new record for the company, uh, you know, most orders delivered, how fast we get them out, volume, you know, we are doing big things and I don't really stop to notice that and think about that. I mean, just even having like 40 staff and our own lab now in our office in Sydney and, and we're fleshing out our chemistry and formulations team because we want to get, you know, a bit quicker and better at that. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all learning. I'm learning as I go. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just trying to look like I do. I'm Mia Friedman and you're listening to No Filter with Zoe Foster-Blake. You got pregnant (laughs) along the way, twice. Yeah. Did you know that you wanted to have kids? Did it go the way you thought it would go? It wasn't an easy pregnancy, was it, with Sunny? No, not with Sunny. Um, But Rudy was a cracking pregnancy I'd done a lot of osteo and pilates to make my body strong and um had a good one with her side of the morning sickness but no I I I have no complaints I I I love being a mum I can't believe my son is six (laughs) my daughter is already three it's gone very very fast and I guess like everyone I just am a bit frustrated that it all happens at once you know like your business needs you and your family needs you and everything needs you all at once and I'm like why can't this shit be staggered throughout your life but it's just those big years I think these are the building years right where everything's you're building everything all at once and you know I feel the pull to do really big charity initiatives and and I'm like I, I just can't give that energy right now I'm still building over here so yeah, I'm impatient to do everything. But you're also in your creative years too because you keep writing mm. books, you've got the TV <laughs> show. What's your relationship with your creativity? Um, that's a great question. I love her wildly and passionately and I feel like she and my writing are like an illicit partner that I don't get to spend enough time with. And if I was just locked away in a room, we could do amazing stuff. 
that sounds weird. But I I love creativity and I love I know I'm in a husband and a house that's full of it and I, I really feel buoyed by that. And that drives it even further. So the downside to that, though, is that always having new ideas and feeling creative and and seeing this momentum means that you have to follow through. (laughs) And then you've got to do the publicity. (laughs) So it's like I love doing the actual book or making the product or whatever it might be. And then when it actually comes out, I've already moved on. Again, it's what we were saying before. So I'm very proud of everything. But I'm also worried about oversaturation and, you know, people just like oh god she, would she just leave us alone she's everywhere like she's trying to make us buy kids books and beauty products and adult books and so yeah do you have do you get shiny object syndrome most entrepreneurs do and most creative What's people that? do where it's like oh look over there there's that I want to do that oh look I want to do that and I want to do that and I want to do that and it can be very hard yeah sometimes when you've just got all these things you want to do and then you've also got children and a husband yes Oh, yes, absolutely. And um, it's that juggle, you know, and the balance in terms of it literally being balanced, like it's sometimes up and down and and struggling to get my footing and the guilt that I carry for not being, I mean, and I say this as a person who's been locked down for 15 or 16 weeks that I still don't feel like I spend enough time with my children and I live with them 24 hours a day. But it's that wanting to be more present with them and wanting to lock in memories and wanting it to be special and amazing all the time. Whereas most of the time it's just life. We're making porridge, you know. We're going to the park and we're watching a bit of TV. That's life. So I really don't engage on a project unless I really feel like I can see that. So I've got enough of a radar now. If it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And that's why I don't do any, I don't do public speaking or endorsements or anything like that. I don't want to waste energy on on those things. I want to do my own things. Where do you do your work? Here. And this this is our all-purpose room at the moment. It's the snoring chamber for Hamish to be snoring. It's my daughter's room. All her clothes and shit are in here. It's like it's at home. <laughs> I don't have an office. I'm working from home like everybody else. But I can work pretty much anywhere. You know, I've got a candle burning, got some sunlight and my laptop. That's but when it's coffee. not lockdown, where do you work? Bit here. Also here. I, I had an office. Yeah, I had an office and then I gave it up just at the wrong time, like just before lockdown. But, yeah, I will get an office again. Where are all the go-to people? Oh, Sydney. Sydney's our HQ. (gasps) Yeah, so I started a company in Sydney and then moved to Melbourne. (laughs) Good one. Do you, when, you know, pre-COVID, did you come up to Sydney I was up a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I, I need to be there more. You know, we're in a very big growth state and we've got a stunning new office in Surrey Hills and... I love my team and I want to be in there with them and I just need these borders. <laughs> soon, soon. They say, well, Cheryl Sandberg says, the most important career decision a woman can make is the partner she chooses. Uh, um, like business partner? No, life, life partner? partner that she chooses, yeah. the, the most yeah, important career call. decision. You chose a man who has a big career. So how has your career, how do you navigate the two big careers when they're different careers? Yeah. Uh, well, we've been, whether this is luck or, you know, good planning, we never hit big moments at the same time. So I've got a week of press this week and he's not. And then he'll have a week of press and I'm not. So for some reason, and it's probably good calendar orchestrating, we don't both have big things on at the same time. And that's the only way it could work because I couldn't be doing this without his him being downstairs right now with Rudy or doing pickup and same with him like when he's shooting Lego he's away all day and 
you know. So we are very much a team in that sense. You have to be mindful of the other person and, and that you're not putting too much on them. And, you know, when I have to go to like New York for work for a week in the olden days, um, I'd feel terrible guilt. I'd be like, oh my God, you know, I'm leaving everything with you and you're going to be okay. And, you know, but then I, of course I do it for him when he goes away for his travel show. Like you just, you just do it. So, yeah, he's great. He's a, he, and I love that about actually what Cheryl Sambo said because he's a huge cheerleader and supporter and he's made me feel confident making big decisions that felt risky in that moment. And I agree. Like you want a champion in your corner, particularly when you've got a public profile and what you make is sort of half the job is what the feedback is, right, whether it works or it doesn't. You're, you're, you're putting something out there and seeing if it's going to fly. And so you need someone at home that's solid. <laughs> that it's real do you talk to each other a lot about work oh yeah yeah we put the kids down and we have dinner at the bench and we talk a lot you know big big picture little picture immediate things like can you run your eyes over this email like from the very minute to very big picture stuff we love each other's ideas but we can also sense when we've just had an idea like I'm like I think I'm gonna start a peanut butter peanut butter I'm gonna make peanut butter because I think that I could do it best (laughs) it's like why don't we just park that one? And so we know when the other one's talking shit and needs to just take five. <laughs> oh, I had too much coffee. And, um, yeah, but we we are each other's biggest fans, I think. How are things different now to when you first got together? I mean, you've known each other for so long, but in yeah. terms of that first heady transition from friends to more and then now as parents with two kids. We're in that stage where it's all hands on deck. With, like what I was saying before, with the kids and career and everything's happening all at once. But we are putting in plans and steps to make sure that we have breathers. And that's classically travel for us, but we haven't had that opportunity. But next year, for example, there'll be as much of that as we can possibly do. And putting boundaries around it and really protecting that time. But we, oh, I can't even remember your question now. So um, in terms of how it's different now with kids oh, right. as it was, oh. you know. How it's changed. Yeah, no, I think we still have a lot of fun and I actually feel very proud of us because I feel like lockdown would be hard if you were with someone that you weren't necessarily getting along with well at that time. And I wasn't sure, you know, I thought we might get in each other's nerves, but I like to be by myself a lot (laughs) and suddenly I'm in a house with three people all the time. But we've been great. We've had a lot of fun. We've watched a lot of TV and, you know, we'd just make fun where there wasn't any. So we'd make Wednesday martini night or we'd you know, Japanese on Friday nights or whatever it might be. We've been very actively trying to make things as fun and as light as possible. Everything looks very fun on your Insta. Can you just reassure <laughs> everyone a highlight that, yeah. that actually there are some low moments <laughs> or there are there some are. quiet moments or there are some dark moments without wanting yeah. to trifle through your garbage? Yeah. Now, of course there are. Um, but, you know, you, you get to choose what you put out yeah. there and, um you, you, you know, I'm, we want to retain some of it for ourselves. We understand that we have a profile and people, you know, if we want to promote things and ask people to buy our books or watch our shows, that there's a, a contract in place. But um, we don't share everything because I don't think everything's interesting. <laughs> and um, I actually probably don't post that much anymore on Instagram because I'm too busy working on the thing that I'll eventually put up. To post <laughs> but um yeah I think it's it's about keeping a little bit for yourself and I'm just always I just think it's not that exciting like we're just a bit boring really real life 
Um, but we 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 uh, we feel very we feel very privileged. We feel very lucky to have um, you know being fun as as something that we can do. You know, I realise that there's a lot of people that aren't in a position to be spouting fun. You know, they have hardship and there is a, a lot going on in there, particularly this year. And so we, you know, we also want to be respectful of that and we don't want to be like, yeah, life's always fantastic and it's brilliant. So we just don't share everything. And just finally, you both have very strong groups of friends. Yes. Um, Haim has his group of guy friends and you yeah. have a really strong squad of girlfriends. Tell me a little bit about friendship and what what role that places in your life. I miss them so much. I mean, that's probably the killer. Anyone in lockdown will tell you that friends and just that release that you get. Like, Haim's a great girlfriend, but it's something different when you've got a few girls and a few margaritas. I have some dear, dear friends in Melbourne, but my, my core gang are in Sydney. And how did you and, meet them? Who's in your gang? Uh, mostly from Mags and a few of the promo girls <laughs> and a few of the wags, actually. So I've collected as I've gone along <laughs> good women and I adore them and we're ride or die and it's history and it's 20 years and they've all got their kids and they're all growing up and I don't get to see them or be around them and it breaks my heart. But I love them so much. I I love women. I love I, I feel like the women that I've, I've chosen to come along with me are all very strong in their own way and they've dealt with what's been thrown at them in, in incredible ways and I'm, I'm proud of them and they inspire me and they make me laugh and they're beautiful. And I just miss them so much. Why I really do you do. live in Melbourne, Zoe? <laughs> uh, my husband lived here and he was doing radio five days a week. But he's not anymore. No, he's not anymore. Look, who knows? We might bloody move to Dubbo. It's, uh, it's you know, we are pretty mobile in that sense. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's, you can't really do anything when you've been locked down. <laughs> you can't do, I mean, you know. Probably we, before we just, I suggest you move to Sydney, you might just want to start by going to a cafe and having a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> if I could just drive beyond 25 kilometres, I'll take Baby that. steps. But, but look, I'm in Sydney a lot. I've got my family there, my friends there, my business is there. And I, I would be lying if I said I didn't miss it and the weather and the sea. And before COVID, was there pressure to move to the US to really push push into that oh, market? No. Oh, no, no, no. No, 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 no. I mean, no. I've probably moved to New Zealand before I'd moved to the US. Really? <laughs> I love New Zealand. Oh, yes. It's wonderful. But, but I mean, so GoTo yes. can go in the US without you being there? Yes, it needs me on the ground, you know, twice, three times a year, which I'm happy to do. I go and I do a hardcore like 10 days of, of media and launching and buying and, and being with the retailers. But um, right now in the state of America, it's a bit on pause. No one's really thinking about skincare. <laughs> so we've just, yeah, we've just had to sort of pause for a second there. But we have so much coming up in Australia, you know, so much more to do here. Too. Audible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was so weird. I listened to the book. It's brilliant. But why aren't you narrating it? It's from the male. It's tough from the male oh, perspective. Oh, okay, yeah. But why did you write? <laughs> That's a good point. I just, like, why did you want to write from the male perspective? That's a new one I didn't. You. I didn't. I know. Well, I, I realised about halfway through that I'd done that because I wanted to write about Holly, who's the female protagonist. About, I wanted to write about Holly. I didn't want to be her. I didn't want to be in her head. 
I wanted to have an objective sort of outside view of her and that had to be her husband. So Cam is, it's in his, um, it's in his voice, but he's, you know, he's pretty woke. Uh, he's a woke bloke, as someone said earlier today in a media interview. But he is, I think it's more about, you know, not so much the male, female, but more the person at home with the kids who's feeling down on themselves and their partner who's thriving and killing it and sexy and going off and having an affair and that resentment and that, you know, unfortunate big chasm to jump between uh, happily in love and, and being world beaters versus two young children and a great power imbalance. Mm. And what that I was reading another interview where you were promoting um, this and you said that infidelity is not a deal breaker. Well, Throw down. Have you just given Hamish a hall pass? Like that seems like not a good thing to say in print. <laughs> I know Hamish's like, should I be worried about all this? Um, no, and that's that. The, the reason I say things like that is not to be inflammatory, but to, you know, as someone who's written that column for a long time and 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 written these books like Breakup Boss and so on, I think the idea of infidelity is fascinating and wide-ranging and with so much nuance and Esther Perel who's my I love her so much you know her philosophy is that it's sometimes can be an enormous gift and it just reveals what was not working and what needs to be worked on and it's it's usually just a top-line symptom you know rather than the problem itself so uh you know in this one of course there can be a huge awakening afterwards um where you realize what you almost lost and um I think nothing is black and white. Everything has nuance. Did you get to choose who voiced it? I was sent some of the auditions and Stephen Curry was just wonderful and he was funny and performed, like he's a performer, so he performed it and he had to do lots of different voices and sucked in, he had to do sex scenes and <laughs> it was uh, it's great. <laughs> like, Sorry, mate. So no. it's finished. Ah! It's over. Are you all right? You know I love podcasts. Can we please keep are going? You, are you okay? Was it that bad? If you want to hear more from Zoe, you should check out her new Audible original book. It's called Clean Slate. And you can find all her other novels over on Booktopia or any independent bookstore by following the links in our show notes. Thanks for listening to this episode of No Filter. We want to hear from you about what your favourite episode of No Filter is. So call the pod phone on 02 899 9386 and tell us. Or if you're not the phone call type, you can send us a voice memo to podcast at mamamia.com.au. The exec producer of No Filter is Eliza Ratliff with assistant production by Leah Porges. And I'm Mia Friedman. I'll see you on mamamia.com.au.